Hey there, everybody. Here we are again, and it's good to be with you. Hello, David. Life is good. Life is indeed Great good. Great to be alive, isn't it, Scott? Yeah, beautiful day here on the Wasatch Front, uh, to which together. makes it even greater to be alive. Um, Grandpa's birthday today. I know. <laughs> I've missed that guy. He That's would have been 109 years old today. Yeah. Yeah. I was the baby. Yeah, my you dad were, was the oldest. You were the second oldest grandchild. Third, actually. Third, third oldest oh, grandchild. Craig was older than you? Yeah, Craig's older than me okay, just by a few so months. Yep. Sweet that we we're thinking about him. So, so awesome to remember him. And Yeah, he was a good guy. He uh, he was a sealer in the temple. Um, Dave, you've been... Yeah, I've been feeling pretty close to him, Scott. I bet you Lately, are. I was... Yeah. Recently called and set apart as a sealer in the new Saratoga Springs Temple, and it's really humbling, and and uh, it's made me feel just a little closer to him, and think about him and all the years that he served as a sealer in the Provo and then the Mount Timpanogos yeah. temples. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know married most of his grandchildren. Yeah, he did. Sealed Sealed most of his grandchildren. Yep. Except my children. <laughs> he died right before Rachel was married. Yeah, yeah. And so it's kind of been, I've been thinking about that, you know, that he wasn't able to seal my children because he died right before my oldest got married. But now I'll be able to seal their children. Yeah, your grandchildren and my grandchildren. Yeah, so yeah, it's... That'll be amazing. It's kind of kind of sweet. Yeah, stuff. I uh, I tell people all the time. You know, Craig actually and I were talking, and you know, other people in the family, and I just tell people all the time because I get to be with you so often. How much you remind me of Grandpa because you, you, the way you look, your mannerisms, and now this is just like that. that yeah, makes, that makes sense. So how are you going to juggle yeah. that with being a patriarch? The nut doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, well, we'll see. You know. Uh, we we've had two patriarchs in our stake, uh, you know. I anyway, I won't give the history of that. It's not not important, but we'll see. We'll uh, try to balance that out, and maybe they'll put me on non-functioning status again, you know, as a patriarch. But maybe not. Yeah. I I think it's yeah. not a problem to give a blessing once in a while to to the youth and to be sealing people in the temple it'll be kind of a sweet service we were we were going to go on a mission i told my i told the temple president that uh, we were considering a mission and his response was, well the first presidency called you to this so if you want to go on a mission you'll have to take that up with them you'll have to ask them about that so anyway i it's it's delayed i think any any uh decision right now to serve a mission but i still hope that maybe in a after serving as yeah a sealer for a year or so I maybe we still go on a mission and well i i know that uh, i speak for myself and probably most of our listeners because i don't know listeners if you <laughs> realize it or not but if dave were to go on a mission that kind of uh wraps up our podcast here uh, yeah well no you could continue so you it's and a, Deb. so you it's and Deb a, could well, I don't could know. Continue it. Your teaching institute. You're having your own experiences. Yeah, yeah. We Scott, do. you could keep that going, and it'd be really a blessing to, to so many if you did. Leave so. me that as it may. The blessing is that we'll get to keep doing this yeah. for a little while yeah, longer. I'm, at least, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that too. Um, hey, gang! Last week um, we just couldn't pull our schedules together. Uh, I know that uh, we've. Uh, Got so many comments about so many of our really important interviews that we've done over the the uh, year, and uh, we played uh, my sweetheart Deborah Durfee's 
podcast last week. We've got a lot of responses again from that, and we want to say thank you. Uh, just a reminder, everything that we're doing now is being transcribed. You can just go to the website, which is linked on your provider, whichever, whether you're using Spotify or Apple or whatever. There's a link to go to the, uh, the main feed or the original feed, and there you'll find transcribed each one of these podcasts, so you'll be able to get those in written form as well. Uh, and again, I encourage you to uh, send your questions, etc., to us at heredeemsus at gmail.com. We have a couple of questions in the queue that uh, we'll be answering this week. Uh, we'll get to those um, as quick as we can. So anticipate that if you've sent a question. So, Dave, enough of that. Let's, uh, let's talk about what we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, thank you, Scott. So we uh, did uh, the last time we were together, it's been a few weeks, um, yeah. we were... Finishing up talking about the unconditional aspects of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And uh, there are more unconditional aspects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, in my, in my thinking, than there are conditional aspects of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And when I say unconditional, I mean everyone, all of God's family, all of the human family, are blessed unconditionally by the atonement of Jesus Christ. And and I've made the statement, and I believe it, and I believe it's, it's, it's taught by the prophets and the scriptures, that all the negatives of life that we experience that we did not choose are unconditionally covered by the atonement of Jesus Christ, either through the redemptive powers of the atonement of Jesus Christ, which are the cleansing powers, or the enabling powers of the atonement of Jesus Christ, which are the strengthening powers, or, I believe, the compensatory powers of the atonement of Jesus Christ, which are, I call, the reimbursing powers of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And these have been clearly, clearly taught, and I'm really, really grateful, and it gratitude again, understanding those powers of the atonement of Jesus Christ that are unconditionally ours, gifts that he has offered us, that he has unconditionally provided for us. But we still have to understand them in order for them to have real power, I think, in our lives, Scott. The power to desire to keep the commandments and to do right and draw closer to him. So I guess we still have to make a choice whether to acknowledge them, whether to receive blessings ultimately from them or all the blessings from them. So I am really grateful to have learned pretty early in my life, in my 30s, about that. And uh, it was kind of serendipitous how I did. You know, I'd been serving at the Missionary Training Center, helping uh, new missionaries as a branch president uh, receiving confessions every week from new missionaries and helping them to learn the principles of repentance, which we'll talk more about soon in our podcast. And uh, those are the conditional aspects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, how to repent and be forgiven. But I, I hadn't really quite tapped into the uh, all the unconditional aspects and blessings of the atonement of Jesus Christ until after I was released as a branch president at the Missionary Training Center. And that happened by way of a call that I had shortly received after we were really, after I was released from the, from the MTC. I got a call from a bishop of, at the prison. And uh, he uh, asked us if we would volunteer to our family, go up to the prison every first Monday of the month and to have family home evening with a prisoner that would be assigned to us. Well, my family was pretty young. My children were young. And uh, I was a little nervous about that. And uh, But after discussing it as a family, I called him back and told him we'd love to do that. So... Uh, we now, and I apologize to our loyal listeners because I've shared this experience in our first season, and and uh, yet it had such a profound effect on my life and what I learned from it. And I hope it uh, that maybe you'll learn some additional lessons from it this time, if 
if you've already heard me share it. Um, so we went up to the prison that that uh, first Monday of the month when we began this assignment, and it was a little uh, disconcerting to me when they started, uh, you know, shutting iron doors and bars behind us as a family. And how old do you think Rachel, for example? Would I have think been? Rachel was about. Oh, Scott, I think she was probably about nine years okay. old. Yeah, so Rachel's Dave's oldest daughter. Uh, yeah. You know, and I'll just yeah, yeah, throw yeah. this in quick. Nine years old, maybe yeah. maybe 10 or 11. I, I mean, I think it was in like, that. I think it was in 1989. So okay. she would have been 10 years old. Okay. Uh, 10 years old, yeah. And uh, Aubrey, nine, and then uh, and then Taylor would have been six and... and uh, Seven, maybe seven, and and Devin, a little younger than that. So, anyway, we uh, we go there the first Monday, and we're introduced to the prisoner assigned to us. And uh, just for his sake, I'll I, I won't share his name except his first name was David. So, anyway, we meet David, and uh, we're we're locked in the non-denominational chapel yeah church they have there at the old prison at the point of the mountain which is now being torn down oh uh, yeah obsolete but anyway we were there and after we had a little opening exercise we went into a room by ourselves with our prisoner he just so happened to be a black man who was also a muslim and this was his first time participating in the family home evening program he thought it would look good on his record and he thought, I think, that the reason he chose to do it was that it would look good on maybe the parole board and give him some pardon as a result of being involved in the program. Anyway, we met him, and he and uh, I had kind of prepared that we would introduce ourselves as a family. So we went around the room, and we all introduced ourselves in a short, sweet way. And, and then I said, David, now we'd like to hear something about you. And he said... First thing out of his mouth was, well, I suppose you're wondering why I'm here. And I had kind of prepared or anticipated he might say that. And I said, well, actually, David, if it's okay for, our, for my children's sake, they don't need to know why you're, why, we don't need to know why you're here, David. We don't want to think about that or dwell in the past. Uh, so just tell us about the present what you like to do, uh, things that you enjoy, and let's let's just talk about uh, you know who you are and things that you do here, and and we don't need to go into the past. I want to focus on the present and the future. So uh, he did that, and he had a lot of fun, and he took off his shirt. I don't know if that was uh, <laughs> against rules, but he took off his shirt and he started to flex because he was a weightlifter and. He, he could bench press over 400 pounds. I think it was 450 pounds, he told us, and leg lift, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And and he, I think he even said he was kind of working out to try out for the Mr. Utah pageant or whatever. Anyway, he looked like an upside-down pyramid. He was about 5'9", five, 5'9", <laughs> nine, five, nine, a couple hundred pounds, but, man, he was just solid. And when he took off his shirt and he started to flex for us to go through some of the moves, I remember my my girls and probably even my wife they were they were pretty impressed and uh and uh yet it made me really nervous <laughs> i bet <laughs> yeah uh he he could have crushed me anyway it was impressive and we immediately he was so charismatic and so fun and we loved him yeah and uh, that first night we really loved him and when we left the left him there in prison. It was hard. As we were driving home, uh, I looked in my rearview mirror. We were driving to our home in Highland, and he was, I, I noticed Taylor was had tears. Oh, and wow. I said, Taylor, what's wrong? And he, and he said, I really hate leaving David there. And we all just kind of sadly shook our heads. It was it was quite a thing. We've I mean, just instantly from that day on, we we really loved him. 
Well, I w- had a volunteer card in order to do the, to be involved in this program, and I could go up and go to church with him. And I uh, invited him to start going to the LDS church once in a while. So they ha- they would have a little meeting every Sunday, and and uh, about once a month, I'd try to go to church and sit with David. After doing this for a few months, I I went up to the prison, and the bishop met me at the door. And he said, uh, I heard you were coming today, and uh, David came in to see me this week. And uh, he is uh, really scared that when you find out why he's in prison, that you'll stop bringing your family, and he really loves your family. And uh, I think it would be good if after our meeting today, if I let you use a room and let David tell you his story. And I said, that would be fine. I just didn't want my kids to think of of, of some of the things he had been involved in. Bishop said, I understand. So after our little sacrament meeting, uh, you know, though they didn't, that some of them passed the sacrament to visitors and other things there. And um, we met in a room, and David began telling me his story. And Scott, I, I, you know, I was 30, I think I was 36 years old at the time, and I, I was pretty naive. I, I hadn't really even imagined things like this. Uh, he told me that he was born in Kansas City to a prostitute. And of course, they, they didn't know who the dad was, and that uh, his mother was really abusive, and from the time that he was six years old, that she had forced him into child abuse, or, I'm sorry, uh, child prostitution, and that uh, from six on he was a child prostitute. And I remember him saying to me, so sad, I'll never forget the look on his face. At the age of six years old. Yeah. (laughs) And he said to me, as he kind of looked up at the ceiling, my mom made a lot of money off of me. Ah. And then he told me that when he was eight, that he started to object to uh, being involved in child prostitution, which I thought was interesting, the age of accountability. This is uh, what we call sex trafficking today, right? Yeah, it's so sad. And and, uh, he said, so I began to object when I was eight years old, and that's when she gave me my my first uh, dose of heroin. And from eight years on, he was a he was a drug addict. Mm. Eight years old, he got his first shot of heroin. Ah, and then he pointed to a big dent uh, in his forehead. You know that he had right in the middle of his forehead. He said, "You know how I got this?" And I said, "No." And he said, "One morning I was asleep in bed, ten years old, and my mother." hit me in the head with a tire iron, crushed my forehead because I had forgotten to take out the garbage that day. So he said, I decided that my mother would eventually kill me if I didn't run away, and so he did at the age of 12. At the age of 12, he had he finally ran away and uh, kind of lived on the streets or others who might take him in and and uh, I was I was just uh, amazed and heartbroken to hear his uh, hear his story. Eventually, at the age of fourteen, he said he had a gun. And this is what he said: "I hated my mother, mm. but in some strange way, I loved her. Right. And I thought that maybe I could help protect her. Mm. So I went back home. Now that he had a gun, yeah." And shortly after he went back home, his mother did something that just, I guess, triggered him. And out of rage, he shot his mother and murdered his mother, killed his mother. So he got put into the Missouri, state of Missouri, juvenile detention program. And and uh, at eight, 18, after being in that for four years and going around to different detention centers or foster homes, then he 
got involved in uh, another program. I think it was the Peace Corps or something, and he ends up in Ogden, Utah. And uh, in Ogden, Utah, a man does something that uh, enrages him. He's just got this uncontrollable temper, and he he kills the man. He murders a man at the age of 18. Well, this guy had never been, uh, never had an opportunity to learn how to control his uh, emotions. And he's he runs away at the age of 12. He's on the streets, essentially, for at least two years yeah. before he comes home. Ugh. So his second, uh, second murder is uh, committed when he's 18. Hmm. And he gets 10 years to life. Okay, 18. And when I met him, he was 32 years old. Scott, he was four years younger than me. And uh, so he's been in prison for 14 years when I met him. So he surpassed the, the minimum 10 years and who knows how long. And I'll tell the rest of the story when I finish. But uh, anyway, so he's telling me all this. And Scott, I, I just kind of never quite imagined you know, how hard and unfair, really, life life can be until I met David. And we continued to go there, and our family continued to love him, and he gave us Christmas presents, uh, drawn art that he had paid somebody in prison to draw on a white hanky to each of my children, and had given them a little money, which he had earned, making just... Uh, yeah. you know nothing in the prison and and we had given him a set of scriptures and anyway we had this bond and and uh, we were enjoying loving that relationship and then we got ready to move well before i t tell that i guess i need to say because of our relationship with him after a year we decided that because chris had had three stillborns that we were going to adopt a baby. And because of our love and relationship with David, we decided to adopt a black baby. Mm -hmm. And so we had put in all these applications to Houston and Denver and Philadelphia, and we were going to adopt a black baby and and uh, felt that, that that was right. And several families had been doing that that lived around us in Utah County, and and we were excited about that. And we, got a, we adopted a, Isaac from Philadelphia two months old and he had been in an abusive situation and we we adopted him and uh, we were so excited to by the way I wouldn't have done that I wouldn't even have considered it if David our new brother and friend at the prison had not uh, supported it yeah well let me let me just kind of pause you for just a second so um, I adopted a little girl yeah, about that same time, right. and um, I don't know, and she's also African-American descent. She's black, and I don't know that we would have adopted her if you wouldn't have uh, initiated that with I remember Isaac. That, and so I this remember so this, uh, this David's impact um, had some ripple effect yeah. in our family. Yeah, good point. Absolutely. Anyway, David was so supportive and excited about that, and we were so excited to take Isaac to the prison the, f the first uh, Monday of the month after we had adopted him. And uh, he, again, was, was just a few months old. And uh, we were going to the prison, and all of our kids were kind of arguing about who was going to carry him in and show him yeah. off to David. And, and uh, I said, stop it. None of you are carrying him in. I'm carrying him in. And we went into the prison, and I'm holding Isaac, and and we were we were there a little early. I thought we would kind of be the first there, but David was in the chapel waiting for us. Did he know that you had yes, this baby? Yes, okay. he knew okay. that we were coming. So it wasn't a complete surprise. No, in fact, he had he had somehow I don't know how he pulled this off, but he had somehow starched his shirt so that it was like stiff as a board, and he had his top button buttoned like he was going to church, and he had creased his Levi's, yeah. starched, and had a hard crease in his Levi's, like they looked like soup pants, Yeah, his denims, and he had polished his black Nikes. And I thought, wow, all of this to meet this new baby. What a, what a sweet It was experience. really sweet. It was yeah. impressive. Yeah, I told him, I said, and he'd slicked his hair back, oiled and yeah. slicked his hair back, and I said, wow, David, you look like a million bucks. 
And he said, well, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a godfather now. I mean, he thought he was the godfather yeah, of this, sure. of this yeah. baby. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was sweet. I, you know, I was holding Isaac, and uh, I said, uh, David, do you want to hold him? So he puts out his big, massive arms, and, and I lay Isaac in his hands, and he's kind of sha- shaking. And I said, hey, David, David, and I could tell Isaac was nervous. And I said, David, he likes to be held close, and he kind of rolled him in his arms. And I thought, no, you're going to crush him, man. <laughs> and uh, I said, let me show you how to hold a baby. So I took the baby back. I took Isaac, and I said, you got to hold him like this. And I might have been the first baby uh, he ever held. Well, he told me that, and yeah. uh, so I, I'm showing him the how to hold the baby, and and so I give him back to David. David's kind of rocking him and looking at him, and. Then there, David looked into his eyes, and Isaac looked into David's eyes, and I don't know, Scott, something happened, and it was like you could just see um, David's countenance just fall, and oh, he wow. became he became really depressed. Mm. Uh, he became there was something just really dark, and um, he handed the baby back to me, and he shook his head. He started shaking his head, no. And uh, moving around, nervous, anxious. And he wouldn't speak to us the rest of the night. Hmm. We went into a room and after the opening exercise, and I said, David, can you tell us what you're feeling? And he, he'd just shake his head no. And he, wouldn't, he, didn't, he didn't say a word the rest of the night. And it was terrible. It was awful. And this great event that my family had looked, so looked forward to was just awful it was depressing it was it was a tragedy and my children were sad and we all didn't know what was going on and i w- i got angry about it after leaving the prison and not sleeping very well that night and as soon as i got through teaching seminary that day i went right back up to the prison using my volunteer card and went in to see david and went right in they let me go into his what he called his house or you know his his complex and uh we sat at a at a table together across from each other and i said to him scott david if every time we come up here with that baby if it's just going to depress you then maybe we shouldn't come up here anymore i was mad and (laughs) he looked at me and he took his hand and he raised it above his head and he slammed it on the table between us. And I kind of (laughs) jumped, I'm sure. Yeah. And he said, I just have one question for you. Why didn't God give me a mother like that? Right. Speaking of my little family and, and Isaac's adopted mother, my wife. Your sweetheart, Chris. My sweetheart, Chris. Why didn't God give me a mother like that? He said, that is the first time I have ever held a baby. Mm. And I have never felt such love. Wow. I've never known such love. Yeah. And I said, David, David, what, what, can we, what can we do to... And he said, well, I just want to know. Why didn't God give me a mother like that? When he asked that question again, Scott, I, it's like I had the Holy Ghost go through me. And because uh, I, I, I went there upset and angry and all of a sudden I understood and I felt peace and the spirit came back into my life and I knew what to say to him and I had never considered this I had never even thought about this and I don't know if at the time it had ever been taught you know in in 1990 probably when this happened I, and and I said I said to him David I don't know why you never had a mother like that but I do know this, and I knew it was true. If it is your desire 
to someday have a mother like that because of Jesus Christ, you will have a mother like that. I knew that was true, Scott. Right. I, I just knew that he was covered by the atonement of Jesus Christ, and if it was really, truly his desire, and and he would have to do some things, and he would have to be faithful, and but I knew that was that was a definite possibility, and it 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 was amazing to me. It kind of just opened up my mind, and I began to think about the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, someday he would have a mother like that. And I pondered that, and I began to study that. And I found all of those wonderful statements of compens- compensatory blessings that made by the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve and how that the atonement of Jesus Christ doesn't just cover our iniquities, but it covers our, all of the inequalities of life. I have loved the, the teaching of, from Preach My Gospel all that is unfair in life is covered by the atonement of Jesus Christ. That's taught throughout the scriptures, Scott, that because of Jesus Christ and his suffering, King Benjamin taught. All of that was done, that there would be a righteous judgment, a fair judgment, a loving, a merciful judgment. So I began to think about that, and all of the people who have lived on the earth who's never really had the opportunity and maybe David falls in that category, so messed up as a child, you know, so affected negatively, his mindset, his perspective, his, all of that. And, and who knows about his mother? Mm-hmm. Who knows about how she was raised? And where does the cycle stop? Mm-hmm. But the atonement of Jesus Christ covers all of the unfairness and inequalities of life. That's the compensatory unconditional aspects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, God, that I had just never considered until I was 36, 37 years old. Yeah. And I am so, so grateful to have a deeper understanding of that. And this, this story with David doesn't end, end well. Unfortunately, um, I was trying to do everything I could with a close friend of mine to get him into a program, a sex offenders program, and uh, not a sex offenders program, I'm sorry, but a program where he would have to be with sex offenders, which to him was something that he had never been able to be around for some reason. I don't know why that would set him off because of his childhood, but he could not be around sex offenders. And, And I finally got him to try a program where he would be in a room with sex offenders. And, uh, but that, that didn't last very long. Uh, he was in the weight room with one of those sex offenders who was, had, it had been known that he had, uh, raped an LDS girl and, uh, it was kind of known and he, I don't know if he bragged about it or what, but David had made arrangements to get him alone in the weight room and, and nearly killed him. I know they, t- they took him to the hospital. He's in critical condition. I don't know if he ever survived really but uh because of that david was put back in maximum security and we lost the privilege of continuing that relationship the last time i saw him was in a orange jumpsuit we'd gone to the the parole board uh, the hearing in which they were considering his situation it was his time to have a parole hearing and i saw him and he hit, you know and his feet were shackled and and, uh, you know, had, uh, uh, yeah, handcuffs, handcuffs on. on. Yeah. I remember him t- telling the judge or the parole board that he'd turned around, looked at Chris and me who were there to support him. And I have a family now and I've never felt such love, but, uh, going to max security and not being able to maintain that relationship and him not really being able to receive us and then we moved to Minnesota and and I lost contact and after I came back from Minnesota I I did some research and wondered where David was and thought I'd try to renew that relationship a little bit after 13 14 years 
and then I, I I found out that he had been uh, institutionalized, basically, that the parole board had told him uh, not to come back, that he was never... This is where you're going to be the rest of your life, yeah, huh? you're never going to get out of prison because of his uh, rage, his anger, his yeah, violence, even yeah. in prison. Yeah. But, Scott, I hold out great hope for him. Yeah. I do. I, I just don't think we understand the the depth and the uh, mercy of Jesus Christ that all of the unfairness of life yeah. is covered by the atonement of Jesus Christ. I'm not making any excuses for anybody, and I'm not saying he's not accountable to some degree. Uh, everybody has some accountability. We certainly have our agency. I, I get all of that, but I can't judge him. I know that. I don't know. I don't know how people are wired. I don't know how child events like that affect people. I know that negatives can come out of negatives, and I'm not sure that they are fully accountable individuals. I just can't judge. I hope ev- all of our listeners know we can't judge. And I'm telling you, when I see some of the terrible things that I that you see every day in the news, some of the terrible things going on, instead of being so quick to be condemn. I think, wow, I wonder, I wonder how the atonement of Jesus Christ uh, maybe is there for even them. Right. Well, and, and you know, David is an extreme story, right? I for mean, sure. I mean, uh, it's unfathomable to, for many of us who are listening to, to even be able to comprehend or to, we just don't get it. Right. And there's no possible way we ever will get it. No. But you know, but you know that that's not where these blessings end, though, and that's not where these examples end, though. You know, we really shouldn't judge even those of us who are among us who were raised in good families, exactly, who had what are seemingly great upbringings, who had those family home evening experiences on a regular basis, who had those family prayers, because oftentimes. I don't know if oftentimes is really the, but but it's not unusual or it's not unheard of rather to to even see trials and struggles in families in individuals who come from those types of families and Absolutely. we and we need to withhold our judgment there too because even then right. we don't know what what conditions or what things have happened to or have been propagated against even those people. You know, parents think they know their children, Scott. Yeah. Parents don't know their children. No. They don't. They don't know how they're wired. No. Nope. They don't know what how chemically they're made up. They don't know about all the events in their life when they were children. No. Nope. They don't. There are things that happen that they may never find out about in this life. That's right. And, and they don't know what happens when that child goes to school. Uh, I, I know families who had no idea that their child was being bullied. Yeah being abused, then they never found that out until that individual had done so many bad negative things that they had ended up in so many bad places. I'm and some people never know. Yeah, I was going to say, and they sometimes still won't ever find that out. You know, I I don't. I see this so much. You know, in in the uh, rooms of addiction recovery, right? I had I had a guy that I sponsor here last night. And, you know, he struggles. He struggles with some major, major issues. I'm not going to get into too many details because I know a lot of uh, our friends from that uh, community listen. And for uh, the sake of anonymity, I want to be careful about how much I divulge here. But this young man struggles beyond belief with things that even I and yeah. who, who have come from there, I right. just can't comprehend them. Right. And, and, but because of things that happened to him um, in his life, uh, there's just challenges that we will never be able to comprehend. And if I can't comprehend it, I can't judge it. And even if I can comprehend it, I can't judge it. Amen. Well, the the irony or the contradiction of this whole story today yeah. is <laughs> I took a two-month-old baby Yeah. African-American adopted baby who we loved and love even more now to the prison. And then he ends up in prison, the baby. Yeah. And Isaac, our Isaac is an example of someone who me as a, 
as a dad. Yep. Loves infinitely, unconditionally, but I can't judge him. And, uh, you know, because of uh, fetal alcoholism, because of uh, being born uh, on kind of the autistic scale, high, higher end, uh, because of bipolar, because of bullying that he went through as a child in elementary school and junior high. Uh, Scott, things that I maybe know about, but I can't begin to get my mind around or comprehend about the negative effects and really how he's wired and how he thinks and how he functions, and then he ends up committing uh, crimes and has victims and ends up in prison. And yet, Scott, I, I cannot condemn him as his dad, and I certainly cannot judge him. Uh, I, I, in some ways, I know that my son Isaac, and I'm so thankful that he's out of prison now, and he's working, and recently found a little apartment. I'm so happy for him, and we're trying to help him be self-reliant, independent, but his life's going to be, is going to be, is going to be rough. And, um, and yet I believe as his dad, I've had the witness. I've heard the voice, Scott. I've shared that experience. Yeah, yeah, you have. That the Savior has him, that I have taken him unto myself, that the grace, the mercy that is available to him through the atonement of Jesus Christ is immense. And in some ways, I worry less about him than I do my own children because he, he, isn't, he just is not as accountable. And again, I can't judge my other children because I don't know about all the negatives in their life. I, I, you know, we've had our problems. Every family does. That's right. And I can't judge them. You know, I have other members of my family who struggle, and I know some of the negatives that happened that occurred in their life, and I cannot determine as a, as another human or as, as their dad, as well as I know them, I can't judge them because I don't know what ultimately the consequences and the, the negative effects that come out of abuse. So I, I'm just uh, so grateful so, so thankful for this aspect of the atonement of Jesus Christ, which I have come to understand through trials and tribulations and experiences in my life, Scott, that there are so many things in, in our, all of our lives that are covered unconditionally. To really be able to be blessed by that in this life, I think we need to try to understand it receive it and i know that one thing it does for me besides the gratitude and the desire that it brings gratitude being the beginning of desire the gratitude and desire it brings the humility that it brings into my life it also helps me to forgive others and forgiving others is such an important part uh and part of the process of repentance so uh i just praise uh God and thank my Heavenly Father for the understanding that we should have as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, the understanding we have of the infinite, the infinite atonement of Jesus Christ. We are all covered unconditionally in multiple ways by by the suffering of our Savior and Redeemer. So I hope our listeners will be mindful of that aspect of the atonement of Jesus Christ and that we will all be less critical, uh, less to condemn. I often think about Christ and the woman in John chapter 8, woman caught in the very act of adultery. And we don't know the context. We don't know the background. We don't know anything about that woman. But Jesus did. Jesus did. And that's why he could say, Woman, where are thine accusers? Neither do I condemn thee. Neither neither do I condemn thee. Go thy way and sin no more. If Jesus can't condemn a woman caught in the very act of adultery, 
and he's sinless and going to pay the price and suffer for her sins. Who am I yeah. as a sinner yeah. to condemn anybody else? Mm-hmm. Yep. Except for the grace, go I, Scott. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we say that so often, so often in recovery, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. And, and, uh, and that's so true with any of us, really. I mean, your friend David, you know, and, and it, we can uh, distill this right to the uh, confines of our own homes, guys. Uh, there are just things, David has just mentioned this. There are things that uh, have happened potentially to our own children or the experiences that they have gone through. And, you know, we, we, I think sometimes, David, this is the uh, area within our own homes where this can become a big problem because, you know, we, we do think we know our kids. We do have expectations. And it's easy for us to say, hey, you were raised better than that. Right. You know better. Right. You, you know, and, and knowing has just never been enough. It's our experiences as well that we go through. And, you know, I, I think, and this has been an important thing for me to learn, you know, as most of you know, and if you don't, you will now, um, Deb and I um, were married 20 years ago and blended a family. Well, when you blend a family, that means that there were divorces. And and when there are divorces, and I'm not going to get into any of the nitty gritty and and the blame game because that's totally unproductive, And but but there are, there are effects that, uh, you know, are, are are brought against your children and and they are dealing with things. I didn't come from a divorced family and I'm so grateful for that. You know, I'm grateful for the parents that I have, but, but my kids did and I don't have any clue what it would be like to come from a, in a, to be in a divorced family and then have to be blended with step siblings and step parents and all those things. I just have no clue. And so I think that sometimes it's been easy for me. I'll just own it. It's been easy for me to see some of my kids who make choices, perhaps, choices that I wouldn't make for them, mm-hmm. choices probably that I made, but choices that I wouldn't make for them. Yes. Uh, and and, and it's, been, um, it's been really tempting at, at times out of frustration. And, you know, when I feel the accuser pulling me into his influence right. um, to say, guys, you were raised different. You know better. You know, I took you to church every other Sunday. I blah, blah, blah. Right. And, uh, but, but I have no idea. No, you don't. I have no idea. And Scott, none of us are perfect parents. All of us, all of us to some degree have been abusive as parents. Yep. And we don't, we really don't understand the negative effects that has on our children and how it uh, continues the cycle, how the cycle continues Oh, it's so it's so tragic, and and I, and I know that the atonement of Jesus Christ covers much of that. Yeah, but we we have to understand it in order to let it go. Anyway, I I just am so 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 thankful how the atonement of Jesus Christ brings us all back to equilibrium. At least it should, if we really understood it. We would be able to let things go. We would be more merciful to ourselves, Scott. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, I I wasn't raised by perfect parents either. I had my challenges. I had my problems. I and some of that wasn't all my fault. Uh, that's true for all of us. <laughs> yeah, my son Isaac again. We adopted him two months old because he was the court had taken him out of the home that he had been previously adopted by because. They were abusive. Oh, boy. We'll never know yeah. how a, a baby that was abused for two months so severely. At a, such a critical time so to severely, bond. How that affects yeah. the rest of his mortal life. Right. I can't judge that. No. But I can show mercy. Yeah. And I, well, I can choose not to condemn. We can't judge it. And we can't, and again, we can't comprehend it, but Jesus can. Uh, Jesus Christ can totally comprehend it. He knows with full empathy, not sympathy, full empathy, everything that that everybody, I was going to say these kids, and when I say these kids, I'm referring to this 59-year-old kid sitting behind this microphone right. too, right? Right. Yeah. So well, he, not, only, not only feel it, not only does he feel it, perfect divine empathy for it, mm-hmm. not only did he suffer for it, but Scott, he offers compensatory blessings. 
Yeah. W- w- I believe that we are compensated. And this, this whole idea of the compensatory powers of the atonement of Jesus Christ, I think, was uh, taught by, by Elder Richard G. Scott many years ago. So th- this is from a general conference, Elder Richard G. Scott, April 1996, when he, he taught, Find compensatory blessings in your life when in the wisdom of the Lord he deprives you of something you very much want or very negatively has happened to you. Yeah. To the sightless or the hearing impaired, he sharpens the other senses. To the ill and the sick, he gives patience, understanding, and increased appreciation for others' kindness. With the loss of a dear one, he blesses you with and deepens the bonds of love, enriches memory, and kindles hope in future reunion. You will discover, he writes, compensatory blessings when you willingly accept the will of the Lord and exercise faith in him. So all of these compensatory blessings, I, I think of, uh, which is in the, uh, the book, the divine gift of forgiveness. The 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 quote by Elder Elder Anderson about that all of us receive compensatory blessings because living in a world that it be, is becoming increasingly wicked, God is sending compensatory blessings and an increase of the Holy Ghost for those who will receive Him. Uh, as the world becomes increasingly wicked through the atonement of Jesus Christ, the world receives compensatory blessings, Scott. As an individual goes through things they didn't choose, or didn't create in their life that are negative, God, I, I know, I testify, sends compensatory blessings. This is one way that strengths can come out of weaknesses. Uh, those even who are abused and neglected at least will have greater empathy for others who they know right. who are abused and neglected. Yeah. And there are compensatory blessings that are that cover us. The, the great term of, of uh, I love the kafar, the Hebrew word or the idea of atonement, covers us. Uh, I love that imagery that we're covered through the atonement of Jesus Christ unconditionally in so many different uh, aspects and events, experiences in our life. Well, it's through these compensatory blessings that things, for example, like Alcoholics Anonymous works. It's two alcoholics working with each other, and the only way that another alcoholic, you know, that, it, that we found— and, and, and I don't want to raise a debate, so don't send emails about that. You know, this is just according to the experience of Bill Wilson, the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous himself. But it was <clears throat> through, the, through one alcoholic working with another. That's the only mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. that that was able to come. Why? Because of the compensatory blessings yes. that began even in this regard back in the 1930s and has expanded to a worldwide, organi- not organization, but a worldwide program that has millions and millions of people participating in it with success because of the compensatory blessings that come through each other from Jesus Christ himself. Mm. Yeah, that's that's so true, Scott. We, You know, when I was interviewed by Elder Anderson to help him write his book, and he interviewed me, and, and he went through each member of my family. And when I got to Isaac, and I said, uh, Elder Anderson, we adopted a son, and he's in prison. Uh, he kind of leaned back in his chair, and he said, did you know that Elder Scott had his adopted son who was who was in and out of prison? I said, no, I, di- I didn't. And he said, well, we all did. And we all knew that's why he gave the best talks on the atonement of yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then he said to me, I think Isaac has blessed you and helped you understand the atonement of Jesus Christ in other ways that people cannot understand it. Which is really incredible. And think about So think about that compensatory blessing. Right. Uh, And the trials, I mean, it's been a great trial in our our life, in our marriage, in our family. But the compensatory blessing is, 
of being able to the and it is a blessing scott to be able to understand this this aspect of the atonement of jesus christ yeah and it's been a blessing to you but in turn it's also been a blessing to isaac because he has parents who understand that and through that understanding are able to provide for him and greater outpouring of love because of that understanding, David, that has come to you. Is that not yes, true? Yes, and all of the classes that I've taught yeah. and the, the students who have heard this story yeah. that I've shared today and the, the book that was ultimately written and the course that has been designed that right. is now worldwide is all, is all a part of this experience I had as a 36-year-old young man with a prisoner. Yeah. And learning by the Holy Ghost in that prison that if he desired it, he could someday have a mother like that. Yeah. That was an unbelievable revelatory experience for yeah. me, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. And then I learned it was because of the compensatory blessings available to us through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And the same is true for my son Isaac who is, has gay tendencies, has lived a gay lifestyle, has done some terrible things. Scott, I gave him a patriarchal blessing, and I knew by the power and gift of the Holy Ghost in that blessing that I could at least say, Isaac, when you desire it, you shall have your own family. And I could see it, and I knew it was possible, and I knew if he desired it, he could receive that blessing. If not in this life, in the next. And so many compensatory blessings may not be always understood or received in this life, but they will surely be received in the next life for all of those who, because of choices not of their own, will receive all of those blessings in the next life. When you think about all of those who haven't married or who haven't had children because of choices not not of their own choosing, not negatives that they didn't choose, all of those things that happen to us in this life, we will be able to receive in the next life. The prophet Joseph Smith taught all that we lost in this life that was not our choice or because of our doing, will be restored to us in the next life. All the blessings we didn't have the opportunity to receive in this life, we will receive in the next life, Scott. And that's only possible because of the plan of redemption and a redeemer and the gift of his atoning sacrifice. So I just, I know that's true. I I really pray that our listeners will come to an understanding and feel the spirit of that and incorporate that into their lives. I've, I, I t- know and testify it'll bring you greatest, greater peace, greater understanding, more rest, more joy, even in all of your negatives that you experience in your life. When you understand the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ and the compensatory blessings of it, it can really bring you peace. So... I hope our listeners will come to that understanding. Just in in closing, what a great story, and it's been just a great spirit here in this room today. I hope that permeates uh, throughout each of us as we listen to this um, podcast. But, you know, you just said blessings may not be understood in this life. The compensatory blessings that are available for each one of us for various and, and many, many ways that we may not even quite yet understand. Or receive. Or receive in this life. But they may not be understood or received in this life. But you know what we can understand and what we can receive in this life? We can come to understand and know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we come to know him, and as we feel the blessings that are brought to us through the Spirit of the Holy Ghost, as we come to know him, we know that that's the administration of the atonement in our lives because of the spirit that we're feeling, that spirit of the Holy Ghost. And we will be able to come to know him and receive blessings of comfort and peace 
that are not available to us in any other way. And that's my True. promise. I've seen that in so many ways, in so many institute students that we've had been able to have experiences with, with so many sponsees in Alcoholics Anonymous and other addiction recovery programs. I've seen firsthand, and, and in my own life, those compensatory blessings, that even if those compensatory blessings don't fully restore in this life, mm-hmm. they can provide comfort and understanding and a sense of relief through that in Absolutely. this life. Hey, gang, thanks so much for being with us this week. We look forward to being with you again next week. And until then, remember, you have been redeemed through his blood. We challenge you this week to look for those compensatory blessings in your own lives. Identify where you would wish to see them and uh, begin to seek him so that you can fill them and or at least fill his peace and his love through them. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next week.